Son of Bitch Talk. This is an interview straight from the heart of quarantine. I'm Erin. That's Ange. Hello. That's Shar. What's going on? Everything, Shar. Uh, <laughs> at bitchtalkpodcast.com. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter. Guess what? One went out today. It was fucking awesome. You missed it. <laughs> Sign up for the July. The July one. It's going to come out in, a few, in, what, four weeks? Three weeks from now? Um, you can also find us every Monday morning at bss.fm from 6 to 6.30. We are joined today by T. Chang from Crave. She has revolutionized uh, the vibrator for women. I'm going to say it. She is their co-founder and lead developer um, and local and super special and um, just really excited to have her on this podcast. Uh, I think I reached out maybe in 2018 and um, really happy to welcome her on during the time of SIPs. So enjoy our interview and we will talk to you on the other side. All right, uh, after a couple fits and starts, we are here <laughs> on Fits <Fitch Talk. laughs> We have the co-founder and VP of design of Crave. Um, her name's T. Chang. Welcome to the show, T. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you for being patient. Yeah, we persist. Yes, that's right. That's right. In every form of the word, in every aspect of life. Yes, we do. Um, Before we get into um, your design and and, and what you have offered to the world, um, I just wanted to really uh, first dig in a little bit, if you're you're, uh, Mm -hmm. able to, um, to your background. You're an immigrant to this Mm -hmm. country grew up mm-hmm. in Georgia. Um, we'll get to your product in a minute, but can you talk a little bit about that, about your foundation? Yeah, I mean, I think this, I mean, that story, I think for me, ties a lot into what's kind of going on now. I mean, Georgia is not exactly, you know, like the West Coast, where I remember the first time I came to San Francisco, I was just like shocked. I was like, I have not been around this many Asians. Like, you know, <laughs> it's like being in China and Taiwan, it's insane. And walking around Chinatown, it was like a place that I'm like, I, I hope that maybe my grandma or my parents can retire to because they would have sort of, you know, a community of their own. And because their English is fine, but it's not, it's still, you know, the FOB English, you know, they have accents, they have thick accents. And, um, and growing up in Georgia is just simply not a place for Asian people. When mm-hmm. I um, when I went to school, all the way up until um, I would say high school, I was like one of maybe three Asian kids in the whole uh, town. So I think that's common for a lot of Asians in small towns because that's kind of where I grew up, which is like a predominantly white Christian small town. Do you feel like your parents uh, kind of worked hard to keep the culture alive in your household or or were they more like let's assimilate and let's be part of uh everybody else and and speak english and and do those kinds of things to fit in i know like there are some asian parents they really want you to assimilate they like want you to be white they want you to you know um to not not be different but they wanted me to not be different in the way they didn't put into my mind that i needed to be more like white people i think that's something that when you're as a kid you're going through school that's something you naturally absorb because you want to fit in and so definitely that was going through my mind but for my parents they wanted me to be a good asian kid which means getting good grades not getting pregnant before you know finishing high school you know and just you know do well in school and and don't be too loud because that was one of those things where i think i 
they are very, cons- they, they feel like, you know, girls are meant to, you know, be seen, not heard. Um, not in a superficial way, but I like, just like, they, they don't, they didn't want me to dress differently. They didn't want me to, um, be too aggressive, you know, with whatever. And, um, yeah. So, um, that's kind of how they brought me up. <laughs> so did you get the, the sex talk? Did you get the, the birds and the bees talk from your parents? No, no, we didn't. Uh, no, <laughs> none of us did. Yeah. None of us did. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, one of the things I've said over and over again in that is just my parents, even though they're conservative, just like most Asian parents are, um, they didn't, and I think it's most likely because they were both trained scientists. Um, my, my dad's a microbiologist. He worked for NASA for a little bit, and my mom um, was a botanist, and so she was head of horticulture. Um, you know, like she, when I was young, we, we take photos of plants and flowers. And, and I think because of their scientific mindset that maybe that when they were raising us, they treated sex as just like very, as matter of factly, like, you know, you will get pregnant if you fuck around, you know? And so, you know, don't do that. Um, and, but they didn't like condemn it. Like, it's like, um, like we'd go to hell. Also, we were not a religious family. And so that, that I think also helped with, you know, kind of, I think their attitude. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So um, you get into college, and was your was your um, minor in industrial design? Is that how? That uh, no, that was out? actually my major. No, I I um I had a scholarship to Georgia Tech, and it's a super engineering school, and I didn't want to be an engineer, but um you know my we don't we don't we didn't have a lot of money, and you know with the scholarship that was literally like, you know it's the best school I could get into, um, and no, I didn't want to be an engineer. I just kind of went through the list of all these different majors, no, like aerospace, nope, computer science, hell no, you know, electrical engineer, no, no, you know, and the only two things that were left was like architecture and industrial design. And I didn't know what industrial design was at the time. So I signed up to be in architecture and then I tried one class of it and it was just so boring. Like you're just like drawing straight lines with, you know, this is like drafting days. And I think we're, it was like a transition time, but like, it was just so boring. So then I just switched my major to industrial design and, and then just luckily that worked yeah. out. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I love how you talk about like, you know, once you were out of school and you were in the field of industrial design, you're like, wait a minute, I'm the only woman here. And not only that, but we're supposed to be designing things for the population. And, and are, aren't we half plus the population? Um, and, and that whole realization, like, can you talk about that realization and, and how that completely shifted the trajectory of your career? Yeah. Um, so I think it's like a lot of profession, um, you know, even I think it's not just industrial design, but I think it is, you know, whether it's in, you know, screenwriting, it's in production, it's in music, it's in architecture, it's in, you know, uh, movie making. There is just this lack of female representation in so many occupations. And clearly we are not, we are 50% population and we are not being less educated. So there's something else happening. And I kind of, when I realized I was always kind of the token female and, or the only female that was really weird. But then at the same time, you know, I kind of, I think I have this immigrant mentality where um, I feel very much like a, uh, like a survivor, like no matter where you, 
put me, you know, I'm going to figure it out. I'm going to like sort this out and I'm going to make it work, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, I have a, um, just this, I think that's one of the things my parents, you know, taught me growing up, um, just watching them struggle with their small business is that, um, you know, working hard it will get you a lot further than maybe having talent, you know? So, mm-hmm. um, so that's kind of the attitude. And so anyway, I made it work, but then, you know, as you get older, you start to kind of try to figure out what, where do you think you can best contribute, you know, with your talent as well as your interests um, and also your ability, you know? And um, so design luckily was a sweet spot for me. And because there are so few, I mean, I've actually honestly never worked with another female industrial designer on my level. Um, and, and I was like, well, gee, that's kind of weird. I mean, and then I started looking around at products for women, such as like breast pumps and tampons, and they're all really, you know, crappily designed. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, well, yeah, duh. Cause you haven't had, you know, women, you know, as stakeholders as part of those you know projects. And, um, so yeah, I think once I realized that around like 20, I think it was like 26, um, 27, then that's kind of where I very much wanted to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you were working with Trek and you were working with Goody, is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and designing and then, um, you kind of uh, you kind of went your own way, and you took your savings, and you wanted to create um, a, a vibrator for women that was also wearable. Correct? It's called Incognito. Mm-hmm. That business, right? Right. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. can you? Let's. I just want to get into it. I mean, let's. Yeah. Why? Why did you pick the vibrator? Why? Yeah. I mean, well, in the beginning, I didn't pick. I mean, for me, it was about just elevating what sex toys could be because as soon as you say the word sex toys like people's mind go all over the place including now and i think a lot has changed in the last five ten years um but you know when i was start when i was starting when i started incognito which was in 2008 um you know the idea of luxury sex toys or um sex jewelry uh, modern sex toys was just kind of unheard of so my goal was just try to elevate that. And so at the, at at the first, it wasn't like a vibrator. wasn't like my first, it was about things that were sensual and you could Mm. still wear, but there were functional jewelry. And so I kind of explore that so that I came out with my first like line. um, I think it was like maybe five products that people were just so surprised that they are also sex toys. And yeah, they're like, Oh, I would wear this. You know, I would wear that. I was like, Oh, that's such a cool necklace. And I'm like, oh, okay, this, you know, and and it's really good to have that kind of validation. But ultimately, you know, what what made me turn it into a business was when I showed these prototypes to a buyer in um, in uh, in Berlin for an adult, like a major trade show, and these buyers all told me that they were very interested in the product, and so that's kind of what the, the impetus for me to want to put down rest of my and like invest more into um, this this idea, and then eventually coming up with a company, you know, I mean, for me, because I'm a designer, I don't really, I'm not like, Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. Cause I know, you know, we're all in the Bay area. Everyone here wants to be a founder. Like, oh, I want to be a cool founder. I want to start a company. And like, I, didn't, I don't know. I'm just like, uh, uh, I just think that's kind of gross. I don't know. It's not really my, like, I don't know. That's not my MO. For me, it's like, I, I'm a problem solver. Um, maybe that's why design really resonated with me is that, um, it's a way of solving problems. And, um, once I felt like I had hit some, products that were sellable, then that's kind of when it became a company. 
I love I love this whole concept that's that's completely branded around your your products. This whole design activism um, concept, and and it really wasn't until you know I I started doing research on you and, and your work. It's like it's true. Like why these these vibrators or sex toys? They were all designed by men. They all look so goofy. Like why does my vibrator look like it came out of anime? You know, like right. it just. It, and they're so goofy and they're so, and, and they're not, and, and it just shows the, the, the lack of respect and lack of thought that was, that was put into it. And, and it changes the way you feel about it. And, and you talk about that, like, you shouldn't be ashamed and like, you know, use it and then have to hide it wherever you need to hide it. Like, yeah. it should be a thing of beauty and it should be something that's celebrated. So right. can you talk about this idea of design activism? Because that completely, I mean, that, that I mean, it made me so proud to be like a woman and in, in control of my own yeah. sexuality and it's not yeah. shameful. Yeah, I'd love it. Yeah. I mean, I think, uh, I mean, thanks for bringing that up. I mean, I think activism is, is an idea that um, as there, there was a time, I think, you know, we, we went through decades of just really good time other than obviously that we've had, you know, the recession in 2008, you know, and prior to that, um, you know, we've had a good run of, you know, just nothing but like, you know, doing really well. And, but Everything I think comes at a cost when you're not aware of the ultimate cost of everything that you do. And I think as designers particularly, that's something I was very sensitive to ever since I started designing is that, you know, I'm creating something that's gonna be in this material such as plastic or silicone or whatever it is that is gonna be produced in hundreds of thousands and sometimes even millions. And I believe that was the, the volume for like the hairbrushes that I created. And as an industrial designer, because you're not, you know, industrial design, you're not an artist because you're creating these products in volume. You have to have a sense of civic responsibility that mm -hmm. what you're putting out there is either worthy to take up that space and or it, it is worth the of just existing. And I think so many designers and or creators and or entrepreneurs, they create things that I think with the ultimate goal of just making money, which, you know, it, it is important. We need money to survive. There's no shame in that. But when you have a role such as being a, a designer for mass production, I think you have to be more cognizant of, the, of, of what, what you're putting out there. And so the idea of activism for me is that, well, I, you know, I'm not someone who, I'm not really a protest kind of person. Um, it just in that it's not, you know, everyone has their own comfort zone. Um, and I've mm -hmm. always been someone who I, I cared. I realized when I was, you know, even though as an immigrant being in America, I'm still very privileged. Like we are all very privileged to even live in a country, you know, well up until this week, you know, when all this <laughs> shit went down, but like, you know, we are still privileged in that we're born into a society that at least we have access to healthcare. We can, you know, we can reinvent ourselves and all, which is a privilege that I think people in the third world country, they don't even have, you know? And so I think mm -hmm. early on, I was always very aware of that. And I always wanted to use whatever I did as a way of putting more good out in the world. And I mean, sounds like a little beauty queen <laughs> answer, but for me, that's kind of what drives me is that I just feel like I feel most connected to my work and what I do is when I feel like I believe in it and the mission of it is good. So yes. Kind well, of, yeah. I'm going to say, I think it's maybe we all have this ideal and yes, we're privileged to live here, but we can always do better. And I feel mm -hmm. like that your design, um, of, uh, 
of the vibrator uh, is doing better. And um, I told you before we started speaking, I watched um, the Creative Mornings presentation. Uh, yes, same. Yeah. Talk about it. Let's get in. It, yeah, it was just really eye-opening because, you know, yeah, I, <laughs> truth be told, the picture you had of the different vibrators that are on the market. That <laughs> yeah. Of, like, some of those look maybe those look familiar i don't know yeah i don't know yeah, Is there, yeah but exactly. also how ridiculous they look i mean mm -hmm. really honestly yeah. and it's not for the yeah. it's not for a mature woman and so no. um mm -mm. yeah Ange, go ahead no and you know what the problem is with that you know we'll just say well, that's the way it is. I guess I'll pick from my only options and and you and this is why it's not a beauty a queen answer because you practice what you preach. You're not just speaking it. So that's and I, and I think, you know, especially for me, I think that definitely is seated in my like going to Catholic school roots is like you do what you're told and this is what it is and you deal with it. You know, I remember I was in high school and my teacher in religion class was saying masturbation is a sin. She, we were taught that. And I was like, yeah. excuse me, I don't understand. Who am I hurting here? You know, and it's because we're paying too much attention to ourselves. So this is like a long standing, you know, brainwashing religion or not. Um, and, and the fact that you're out here saying like, nope, I beg to differ, you know, and, and we don't have to deal with these subpar products, you know, that, that kind of make us feel embarrassed. It's true. And, and I didn't yeah. know that. I realize that about myself until you brought it out yeah me neither oh, cool. oh. yeah thank you exactly. i mean i think we 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 have such a tendency i think especially women that we i think in many ways we're very resourceful um because as i think just as as who you are we we're not we're not the top of the food chain in terms of you know uh, social offerings and you know sure we can get out of traffic tickets once in a while because we're cute, you know, and we cry or whatever, you know, but for the most part, this is a patriarchal world. And I feel like often women, we make do with what's available to us and we don't complain. We just kind of make do with it. And especially I think when it comes to, you know, products, you know, if they're not making products for us, well, you're just going to use what you, what you have and what's available. And I guess that's good enough, you know, but I think it only took, it took my training as a designer to be like, uh, no, that's bullshit. You know, like, uh, -uh. Mm -hmm. you know, we can do better, a lot better. And, and that's when I was able to kind of try to create something based on uh, my abilities, you know? Um, but I think it's, it's sometimes hard to call bullshit and make a difference when you don't really know if like what that is, what that better is, you know? So mm -hmm. just in my small way, I, I just hope to, you know, open up possibilities to people. Um, because I'm not even saying, I think that's one of the, some people get really confused. They're like, Oh, so you think everyone should masturbate? I'm like, no, everyone should do whatever <laughs> they want. And if it's themselves and that's great. <laughs> but it's mm -hmm. not that I, I'm saying that everyone needs to own a vibrator because that's a completely personal decision. Mm -hmm. If you want to use a vibrator, go for it. You know, if you want to use your hand, that's fine. If you don't want to touch it, that's fine. You know, and that's, there is no should, or this is the right way because, um, th there just simply isn't. And for me, I think as a designer, I'm just simply presenting an option that was not there before and allow people to choose what they want. You know, there are plenty of people who maybe they don't like my product and they like the traditional. That's cool. Like just you do you with whatever you want, you know, and that's good. Um, so that's kind of my main thing is that, um, you know, as a designer, my role is just to try to make the world better as I kind of think it could be and put something 
out there that hopefully can be of use to people and make their lives a little better. Somebody, you know, life better. And, and, and that, you know, that makes me really happy. And you made it all about the clit. I just had to say it. I would say yeah. it. Uh, thank you. <laughs> all about the clit. <laughs> yeah, it is thank all you. about the clit. There was yeah, it is all about the clit. I mean, what <laughs> is, I mean, that's one of the things that like drove me crazy. I mean, look, internal, you know, penetration is good for a lot of women. Yes, it feels good, but research has shown like only like 70 to 80% of women cannot orgasm that way. And so clits where it's at and so that's why right. i was just like well like i mean the word is in clit yeah. so i mean it's in the word right <laughs> i love it. clit is it i mean that's it's in the word line. it's in the word clit is it. yeah no but that was another fact that i learned from your creative mornings talk is the full anatomy yeah. of clitoris was not documented until 1998 i was already smoking weed at that in that year like that's way too late that's way too late I graduated high school. I know. I know. It's, it's crazy. So shocking that the advance that we've made in medicine and science have long surpassed like what we even recognize as an intrinsic human experience just in women, you know, the other, the 50% of the the population. So, um, so yeah, it's, uh, it, it's mind boggling. And so I'm, I'm so glad that I think I live in a time right now where I think all of this energy and, um, you know, dissatisfaction with the status quo is kind of, you know, and how women have been treated is percolating to the top. And with the Me Too movement, with all these, um, you know, coming out movements coming out of the woodworks, I think it's, it's a great time to be female and, um, and make mm-hmm. some noise. And so, you know, I love the name of your podcast, you know, and I just like, oh, cool. I, I always enjoy talking to badass bitches, you know, and just like shoot the shit. We do and, too. So, yeah. <laughs> so um, if you don't mind, if, if you can share, is there anything kind of new on the horizon or have you seen, um, there, I mean, is this a bad question? What are sales like during a pandemic? I, I, I would think that maybe there are women that are yeah. For those of us that don't have partners during the pandemic, I'm hoping it's surging because shit's surging right now in other ways. Yeah, no, I, I think, uh, I mean, so what's so new for me right now? Cause I mean, I've been with Crave for now, like almost 10 years and, you know, designing sex toys since 2008. This is a time that is just so crazy that we can't predict what we're going to do the next week. <clears throat> I mean, you know, who could have seen like three months ago, like, you know, maybe no, no one could have thought in January that all we're going to be quarantined at home and social distancing would be absolutely part of our lives and wearing masks everywhere we go, which is part of our lives. So, so yeah, like pandemic. Yes. Yeah, so suddenly what we've seen, you know, uh, luckily because of the quarantine time, a lot of people are finding, you know, that vibrators can help with you know, stress and all of that. And so luckily for us, the sales of our products have not gone to zero. Okay. Um, but a lot of other like businesses are suffering because they've had to shut down. Look, we've always been a, like a direct to consumer website. And so um, at least that's been okay. So it's keeping the company going. It's definitely not the same as before, uh, but at least it's not dried up. So I'm thankful for that. And that's, 
as long as we can continue to support people, it supports our company and our people. So it's all good. So, so we're hanging in there, uh, but we're trying to navigate, you know, so many challenges like everybody else. Cause I've been working from home in our small company. No, we have not been able to get together. And so when you're creating new products, that's almost, that, I wouldn't say impossible because we're going to do it, but like, it's going to be very, it is very challenging um, when you can't all meet in person and to talk about something that is like, you know, it's a very physical thing um, mm -hmm. that you need engineers and designers and everybody to kind of, you know, gather around. So, so yeah, that, that is, that is definitely new. Um, and yeah, also for our office, uh, we ship out of San Francisco right. and with the whole social distancing, we don't have more than one person in the office at a time. So, which definitely delays a lot of things and slows down things, but you know, but that well, we wanted, <clears throat> but it was the right thing to do, you know? So like, um, so yeah, it, I, it, it's hard. I'm, I'm not going to lie. It, it's, it's not easy right now. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. and, and with the world changing, I feel like every day as a, as an yeah, industrial designer, seeing other things that, maybe you want to redesign or you want to rethink or like, I don't know, are you getting any inspiration from this moment beyond Crave? Yeah. Yeah. I actually have. Um, and it's really, I think I, I did a, um, like a live talk on my Instagram, um, with a woman, um, Natasha Bloom. Uh, she is a design researcher and because of COVID she has been involved in, a project that brings together hospice care to healthcare workers, to emergency workers, but it's centered around the concept of death. And I know this is so dark, but yeah, I'm not a morbid person. I think I'm just a matter of factly person, you know, so obviously, you know, like things like, you know, sex doesn't bother me, but sex is an, uh, and death is another one that's very much, I realized very much like death in that it's taboo, but it affects all of us. Mm -hmm but yet we are taught to not talk about it and we are still struggling to find language to have that conversation. And, um, and so the idea of how to, how I want to go and also how death as a concept could be better for a lot of people, because one of the things that she found in her research was that, was that a lot of people, they're not able to leave the world as they want, as they intend, because they find themselves in situations where they're unable to articulate what they want. You know, some people mm -hmm. are resuscitated without their, without knowing because they didn't designate someone to speak for them. And there are all these challenges at the end of life, just right at that um, moment in time that people don't talk about nor plan for. And so therefore they leave the world, not the way that they wanted. And, but also a consequence of that is that, um, the planning of like a funeral and or the burial or all of that becomes the burden of their loved ones. And suddenly it's like, oh my God, it's going to be $15,000 for a, a, a plot to bury you in. And then also on top of the casket. So I'm just, so it, this is just, it's just fascinating to me. It's another taboo topic that I think designers and people who are creatives can take a good look at, you know, um, yeah. So sorry to go so dark so suddenly, but well, it's the I things mean, that I, it draws. Yeah. It interests me. Yeah. We actually have an episode uh, going out about loss and grief during the pandemic. We work really closely with um, a yearly event in San Francisco called Reimagine End of Life. It's something that's really oh, close so to my heart. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, awesome. I'm actually, I'm on the uh, 360 board 
at a council for reimagined. So I helped oh, to oh. kind of, yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. So I've been working with Brad awesome. and all of that. Yeah. 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 Okay. So I've been helping to just, um, get kind of, I've been telling people like, it's like the South by Southwest of death, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm so <laughs> happy to see them. I'm so happy to see them, um, you know, get more momentum, not just yep. in the Bay area, but also in New York as well. Yep. Um, yeah. so, so yeah, I, I think it is a very crazy time and we're all thinking a little more, I think honestly, and a little more clearly about maybe what we really want. I mean, I'm going to say the protests and everything that's happening now is because it was sparked, I mean, years, decades um, uh, of oppression and death, but also sparked by a death that was caught on video. So this is in our Mm -hmm. lives constantly. Mm -hmm. So it's something that needs to be talked about and elevated and it's reality. So I I appreciate you bringing that up. And I think that that's sort of right up your alley too, when you talk about, um, when you talk about manufacturing and making sure that, you know, what you're putting out there, is it going to end up in a landfill? Is it this like that? Those are a lot of issues that we have to deal with, you know, when it comes to coffins and and things like that, like, are these things sustainable? What are we putting into the earth forever? So I think it is important to think about these things, you know, with a thoughtful, with a thoughtful eye, with somebody that has the experience to to create, you know, something better. I think just being, yeah, very practical about it because it's not just, you know, the burial is one aspect, but like, how do you want your funeral? Like, do you really want a funeral? Like maybe make it a party. You know what I mean? Like, you know, there is just so many ways that you can celebrate life and so many ways that we can rethink how things have always been done. Um, that I think it's kind of exciting. You know, I, I, on the, on the, when I was talking to Natasha, I was like, I want to go out like a diamond. What I mean by that is that I want to be cremated and take my ashes and then like turn into a diamond and then like give it to my nieces and nephews. And then I looked into how much it costs. I was like, Oh, maybe I shouldn't be a diamond. Maybe I'll just downgrade myself to a crystal. Cause they're really expensive. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They are. They're like, I don't know. They're like five for like two carrots. It's like $25,000. I was like, fuck. I was like, okay, maybe I'll just be a crystal. You know, girl, like this girl, is you are, tea, worth tea. Tea. You, are worth tea, you are a diamond. Yes. You are a diamond. I mean, can I please just bow down to you for a little bit? Like, I love everything you represent. And it is so much more than just sex. It's about just being comfortable with yourself and taking pride and, and not being ashamed. Uh, and it's so, so, so important. And I have a really important question. How do I become a user tester for future products? <laughs> Because just email me. Just let me know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Just I let me put you on the sure. list. As long as you have, as long as you have no affiliation, nor do you ever work for, you know, uh, work for other sex white companies, then it's all good. Yeah. Um, so I'm, all not, I'm all yours. I'm all yours. Okay. Exclusive. All right. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I need to make sure I got that in there. <laughs> all good. All good. Yeah. No, just reach out to us. People like email us like, Hey, I want to be a problem. I'm like, okay, cool. So we just ask them some questions and then it's all good. So oh yeah. I awesome. I love, it. I love it. Thank you, Ange, for that question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, where can people find your product and where, where can they find you? They can find uh, my products at lovecrave.com. So L O V E C R A V E one word.com. Um, and also the Instagram for a crave account is lovecrave as well. Uh, for me, if you just want to reach out to me, it's designer T I one word.com. So, and you can find me that the same designer TI at look at Instagram and Facebook, et cetera. So, yeah. You're awesome. Thank you guys so Thank much. Thank you so much for being Thank you. <laughs> really appreciate you so much. So, so much. Yeah. You got it. Thank you so much. Stay safe. Okay. All right. Me too.
So thank you so much to Ti Chang, who is industrial designer, design activist, and is paving the way for women to have the right to the best orgasms uh, possible. So we appreciate you and your time, especially because I had Zoom issues. Welcome to the age of quarantine. Um, and you were so, so uh, understanding and um, we appreciate your time. And this was a, actually an interview that uh, I was looking forward to because everything in life has been such a shit show. I'm like, well, at least we can talk to <laughs> an inspiring woman that uh, can remind us there's still some good shit happening out there. Yeah, and uh, and she's fucking Asian. Yeah, I mean, I mean. that was like that was the whipped cream on top and cherry. Um, <laughs> I don't think I've ever known an Asian woman to be the creator of a vibrator, let alone one that has now revolutionized the way that women can have an orgasm. So thank you, T. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If Word. we ever had an Asian award ceremony, like I'd give her an award. <laughs> <laughs> Did she design it though? Um, will it vibrate? Well, and now we're all user testers, so yeah. I'm gonna be busy for for the next few months. Yeah, yeah, it's gonna be great. Can't wait to welcome her back on soon, actually. <laughs> so, um, thank you, T. In the meantime, you can find us at bitchdogpodcast.com. You can also find us on YouTube for behind the scenes footage and short clips of our interviews. So check it out and subscribe. It's brand spanking new. You can also find us every Monday morning from 6 to 6.30 at bff.fm. Boy, yo, 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 We are powered by GoTo Productions. Bitch, please.